0: Wow, that's a title package, isn't it? Man, I love our creative staff who is able to put those things together. Awesome job. And what a fitting welcome for a new series that we're beginning today, again, called The Thrill of Hope and all the other things that Christmas promises. As we look at these powerful symbols and these words that we see, you know, spattered all over the place around the Christmas time of year, and we examine them a little more deeply about what they actually mean for us. Well, we are in the Christmas season. Uh, in the church, we call that the season of Advent. You can see that we've been, we've been uh, starting to deck the halls around here in the sanctuary and uh, also out in the lobby. There's some neat stuff that's going on in there and it'll continue to develop throughout the season. But the big, the big question this weekend is for you, and the big question for you is the question that everyone asks the weekend after Thanksgiving, at least here in St. Louis. And the question is, did you get your lights up? So uh, right now, hands up if you did, if you got your Christmas lights up outside. Yeah, That's it's impressive. Quite a few of you have them up in spite of the really bad weather. Um, well, let me just say, I did not, okay? And, uh, and because of that, it's going to give me great pleasure to do to those of you who have what I'm about to do to you. So, you know, those of you who raise your hands, you, you're feeling good about those Christmas lights, aren't you? Feeling a sense of pride that you, you know, you got ahead of everyone else, and, and maybe they look pretty good, and maybe you're the envy of your neighborhood. Well, I'm about to burst your bubble by showing you the five most insane Christmas light displays you have ever seen. Roll it. Amazing grace, how sweet. Still proud of your Christmas lights now? <laughs> I, I love that uh, this season is a season filled with light, and light is one of the most predominant metaphors that we, that we celebrate during the season. We, we put lights on our houses. Uh, we put lights, or we talk about lights in our songs. We, we uh, you know, have images of light and words about light written in our Christmas cards. And this season, ironically, happens to be the darkest time of the year, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, and I love that we celebrate light. It almost seems a, like, a, like a defiant thing for us to do. You know, we take the darkest month of the year, and we put lights on the outside of our houses. It's almost as if that's our way of saying nanny nanny boo-boo to the darkness, right? And I love that. It's so defiant. And really, that, that audacity, that defiance, reflects well the spirit of Advent. Uh, Many of you probably know that we don't know exactly when Jesus was born. We we don't know the actual date. Because back in the ancient times, they didn't record the dates that people were born. They didn't really matter. They didn't celebrate those things the way we do now. And uh, so we don't actually have a date of Jesus' birth. But one of the theories, one of the theories, there are several, one of the theories as to how we came to December 25th as the day to celebrate Jesus' birthday is that early Christians living a few hundred years after Jesus decided that it would be appropriate to celebrate his birth, and they put that celebration right in the middle of the darkest time of the year, right after the winter solstice, as a theological statement, a way of saying light has overcome the darkness. See, see, I love that. If, If that's true, I love it, that light that light has overcome the darkness. And, and every time of year, at least again in the Northern Hemisphere, for those of you in Australia watching online, sorry, this doesn't apply to you. Um, but, but for every time of year, we remember as it grows darker that light has overcome. See, light is not only one of our most pop- popular cultural symbols, it's also a powerful biblical theme. And today we're going to um, begin our Advent journey by looking at the words of the prophet Isaiah, some words that the prophet Isaiah penned 2,700 years ago. And Isaiah, as far as I know, is one of the first guys who fused together these themes, the theme of Christmas and light, and he put them together in a masterful way, and we're going to look at these words. And yet, here's what you need to know about Isaiah. Isaiah was not a, you know, shiny, happy kind of guy. In fact, if you read Isaiah, most of Isaiah's words are doom and gloom, because Isaiah was living in a time of great darkness. The nation that he was a part of, Israel, was was divided into two separate kingdoms, and both kingdoms were, they were in a mess. Economically, they were in ruins. Their leadership was corrupt. They were being assaulted by foreign enemies, and they were about to be overrun and, and carried off into captivity the worst thing of all, they had forgotten God and they had forgotten God's ways for them. And so they had become a violent and corrupt people. And so God finally said, you know what? If you're going to be a violent and corrupt people, I'm going to remove my hand of protection from you because why would I protect a violent and corrupt people? And so God, God prepares them for this, that they're about to be attacked and assaulted and, and they're going to be carried into exile. And, and, and hopefully through this, they're going to learn and they're going to come around again. But the point of all this is that Isaiah was living in a very dark time. Now before we get to his words, I think we can relate, right? Because we also are people who are living in dark times. I mean, think about our world today. We're also dealing with a struggling economy. We're also dealing with, if if not corrupt leadership, at least ineffective leadership. We're dealing with powerful enemies who surround us and uh, we're trying to figure out how to, how, to, how to get our minds around that and what the right response is to all of that and, and yet we feel threatened. Uh, we're, we're living in a society who increasingly is forgetting God and his ways for us. Now before we go on lamenting though the darkness of the world around us and before we you know, start hunkering down and, and get that bunker mentality, let's be honest with ourselves for a minute. See, see the darkness... Of our present world isn't darkness only outside of us. It's also darkness that is within us. There's a darkness that's inside of us too, right? I think we all know too well, at least I do, the darkness that also lives within. For some of us, it's the darkness of depression. Uh, for some of us, it's the darkness of our pasts. For all of us, we all know the pull of darkness on our hearts, pulling us toward things that that are dark things, things like like fear or hatred or slander or gossip or jealousy or greed or lust, or I could go on and and name your thing, but but you all know that pull, don't you, toward darkness? And then we all have the things in our lives that, that we choose to keep hidden in the darkness, the things that we want to keep out of the way of everyone else's view, our past shame, the things that we struggle with, our secrets. See, I think like Isaiah, we get what it means to be living in dark times. Not just the darkness outside of us, but the dark, darkness that's also within us. And this is why I love this part of Isaiah that we're going to look at today. Because in spite of the darkness all around him, and, and the darkness that was in him too, because he was a man like, like us, Isaiah dared... To speak words to the world around him and also to himself, that were words that talked about a different kind of reality. So we're gonna look at those words today. Um, these words coming from Isaiah chapter nine, you can go to page 687 in the Bible if you're here in the room. You can go to the YouVersion app and you can find our whole menu there, or you can look along right here on the, on the screen. Isaiah says, The people walking in darkness, I just told you about the kind of darkness they were walking in. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So so again, I mean, darkness is is the name of the game. Everyone's living in it. Everyone's lamenting it. And Isaiah says, says, hold on. Something is going to happen. Light is going to come into the world again. A light is about to dawn, and it's going to change everything for us. Now, let me just be honest for a minute. I get tired, I get weary when people of faith, sit around lamenting the darkness of the world around us as if it's only going to get darker. See, there's no room for that when you are a person of faith, when you know Jesus in particular. Because here Isaiah is, and he's writing 700 years before Jesus, and he's living in some of the darkest times his people had ever seen. And yet he has the audacity to speak words like this, words that remind them that it's not going to be dark forever, that a light is going to dawn soon. And then he goes on and he explains what, what this is going to look like, what it's going to mean when this light dawns in the next verses. He says, uh, and I love this, he uses the present perfect tense, which for most of us means nothing, right? Um, but but, but it's, it's a tense where he's describing what's going to happen in the future, um, but he's speaking as if it's already happened and the ongoing results are, are before us. So it's almost as, even though it's 700 years out, it's as sure to happen as if it had already happened. He says, You have enlarged the nation. So when that light dawns, this is what happens: you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice. That's a lot of rejoicing when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders. I mean, this is, you know, this is like farm. Imagery. You know, you, you, you saddle up, a, 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 you yoke up an oxen with a plow. And so it's this language of oppression. So these yokes that have been put on you, this, this oppressive work, the bar across your shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, you've shattered all that. He goes on and he says, every warrior's boot used in battle. In every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. See, Isaiah goes on and he says, not only will a light dawn on us, but he says when that happens, everything's going to change. Starting with, with you know, oppression, that'll be broken. Warfare will be ended. Joy will be restored to us, he says. And, and our nation will prosper again. It will be enlarged. It will grow. We will experience prosperity again. Now, again, you have to imagine Isaiah speaking these words, writing these words in the darkest time of Israel's history, and everyone scratching their heads going, okay, Isaiah, but how? When? And then Isaiah goes on, and, and he doesn't tell them when exactly, but he does explain how, and it's, it's, it's sort of strange the way this is all going to come about. He says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In other words, this won't be any ordinary baby. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on King David's throne, the most celebrated king in Israel's history, and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. So see, the leadership had become corrupt, and he says, but but there's a leader coming who will rule again with justice and righteousness from that time on, going on up until forever. And then he says, The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This won't be the responsibility of any human, but God is gonna do this in our midst. See, Isaiah says, I know it's dark right now, but here's what's gonna happen: God is gonna provide for us, and he's gonna provide for us a child. A son, a leader, a king in in, in the line of David. And he's going to come, and when he comes, it's going to change everything. See, Isaiah was looking ahead in these words, 700 years to the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. And he saw that that when Jesus came, even though he came so, so strangely, that it would be the beginning of change for everyone. So why hasn't everything changed? I mean, Isaiah is writing 700 years before it happens. Understandably, his days are dark. But what about us? We're living 2,000 years after it. So why, haven't, why hasn't, rather, everything changed? Why is everything still so dark? See, I think part of the answer is that Jesus' reign, his kingship, isn't, isn't the reign or kingship of a conqueror. He doesn't force people to come under his rule of light no, instead he invites people under it. And I love the way John puts this. John says later on, he says, the light shines in the darkness. I mean, it's, it's there. He's shining, but the darkness has not overcome it. Or as other translations say, the darkness has not understood it. See, I, I think we get this, that the light is shining, but we don't always understand it. We don't always see it for what it is. I've had conversations before with uh, some of my Jewish friends, and maybe you've done the same, and a big hang-up for some of my Jewish friends is that, hey, if Jesus is the Messiah, then everything should look different. All of Isaiah's words should come true. There should be no more darkness. There should be no more warfare or oppression, and yet there is, so that must mean that Jesus isn't the Messiah. See, the light is shining. But but those of us who are still living in the darkness, those who have darkness living inside of us, we don't fully understand what his kingship looks like. And maybe that's even you sitting here today. And you ask an honest question, and it's a good question, and the question is, if Jesus is the Savior and he's come into the world, then why is our world in, in such a sad state still? Why is everything still so messed up? See, John would say, the light is shining... But those of us in darkness, we, we haven't seen it rightly. We don't understand it for what it is. And see, see, further, if I can take this a step further, here's what I'd say. That even those of us who do see it for what it is, even those of us who want to embrace it, light is sometimes difficult to embrace. I mean, light isn't always welcome, is it? Sometimes light is comforting, but so often light is also threatening. See, see, here's the rub. There is an attractive and fearful quality about Jesus, and that is that he brings light into the world, which is something that we want, and yet it's something that we don't want. I mean, you need to get honest with yourself today about the truth of this. Just think about this, that light is exposing, right? I mean, I mean light exposes. Look at, look at what John says here. It says, everyone who does evil hates the light. Why do they hate the light? They won't come into the light because they fear that their deeds will be exposed. So that's one kind of person. And then John says, but hey, there's another kind of person. There's the kind of person who lives by the truth, and they live by the light. And he says, but whoever does that, they come into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So there are other people who don't, who don't fear exposure by the light. See, as John describes those two people, I would like to stand here and tell you that I'm the second guy. I'm the guy who's like, yes, I will boldly come into the light and let everyone see plainly that what's been done in me has been done by God in his sight. But the reality is, so often I'm like the first guy still. And you probably are too people who fear to come fully into the light i mean the light is good it's it's good i get that but can i just dial it down a little bit you know can i close the blinds a little bit it's a little too bright it's a little too exposing so that so that you can't see all of this see light is exposing and so no matter how much you want to embrace light, you have to grapple with this reality that, that the light, when it comes into your life, will begin to expose things that maybe you don't want everyone to see. Secondly, the light is disorienting. It's disorienting. Right, we've all had that, that moment where, um, you know, someone, we're sleeping, we're in a dead sleep, and someone comes into the room and they flip on the light. Or, you know, you're walking out in a room and, and then you flip on a light and all of a sudden the light's bright and, and for a minute you can see nothing. Or all of these new LED flashes on our cameras, you know, on our phones, right? I don't know about you, but those LED flashes, they kill me. I can't see anything for about 20 minutes after someone takes my picture. Um, They're so bright. They're disorienting. And here's what I know. Here's what I've come to learn. That coming to faith in Jesus can be one of the most traumatic things that a person can go through. Because it's so disorienting. See, so you grow up living your life one way, and, and some of you don't know this because you've lived your life under the, the light under some, you know, some, some regard uh, for your whole life. But, but the more I'm learning about you know, God doing things in, in people's lives in this church, the more I'm learning is that, is that, man, when you first come to Jesus, when you come into his light, even though, even though you may think it's good, man, it's, it's, it's disorienting because everything that you thought was right... Everything that you were told was okay now is is maybe not okay, and everything that's not okay is now okay, and it's, it's very disorienting. I mean, think about human sexuality. I mean, there's a message in the culture that says, hey, do whatever you want with your sexuality. It's yours as long as you don't hurt anyone. And then you come to Jesus, and he starts saying different things about that. He says, no, no, honor God with your body, and you were bought at a price, and you're not your own. And gosh, think about how disorienting that is. Where all of us can relate with the disorientation you feel when, when uh, you know, you, you grow up under the culture's idea of what to do with your money and your resources. And then you start to hear the teachings of Jesus on those same things. And, and he tells us, you know, not to hold on too tightly and to be generous and to give. And man, that's disorienting. That's still disorienting for us in this room when we hear those teachings. I mean, there's so many things about Jesus that disorient us. And I think we just need to acknowledge that. That to truly live by the light, even though it may be good, it's it's highly disorienting. It can be highly confusing for us. And then thirdly, light is shadow making. The light is is shadow making. You know, I'm realizing that the closer I I get to Jesus in moments of my life when, when I feel really close to him, you know what I'm realizing? That the closer I get to him, the bigger the shadows get in my life. The, the shadows of my past, the shadows of my current struggles, the shadows of my weakness. Sometimes I, I just, I, 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 when I get closer to Jesus, it's like I can see the darkness for what it is. When, when you're far away, darkness doesn't look that dark, but when you get close, you start to see all the dark places in you more clearly and, and, and you start to realize what's going on there and that doesn't feel good. That's intimidating for me. And I think it's probably intimidating for you too. See, it's no wonder that light has come. And the light shines in the darkness. But the darkness and people who live there, people like me, people like you, we don't understand it. We don't embrace it. Because the light is threatening. There, there is an attractive and fearful quality about Jesus, and that is that he brings light into the world, which is something we want and something we don't want. You've just seen why we don't want it. But, but let's remember why we might want it, nevertheless, in spite of all of that I, ju- that I just said. All of that is so true, and you have to grapple with that. And yet, look at what light also brings. Light brings enlightenment. Sounds obvious, right? You, you know, we hear all the time that Christians are closed-minded And do you know why people say that in the culture? Because we are. <laughs> Too often, we are closed-minded. But that doesn't have to be true. In fact, when you come into the light, you should be enlightened. I love these words from Paul in Second Corinthians. He says, "For God who said, "Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts. get this, this is what His light does in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory." Displayed in the face of Christ. Paul says, when when you step into the light, you get enlightened. You receive knowledge of God's glory, of who God is, displayed in the face of Christ. So, those of us who are in the light, as you step into the light, you should expect to be enlightened, not to have your mind closed, to be enlightened on who God is, to be enlightened on His character. You should expect that that you'll be enlightened on this world that he has created and that you'll understand it better and you'll have greater compassion and empathy and that you'll be able to be a greater example and a greater witness and and you'll be able to live like Christ lived, not to become narrow and judgmental and closed-minded. No. See, we should fully expect that as we come into the light, as, as as we receive the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Christ, that we are enlightened people who know God better, who understand God better, and therefore reflect Him better. Second thing, light brings comfort. Light brings comfort. Again, I know it can be exposing, right? There are plenty of places in my life where I don't want someone to come and turn the lights on. And yet the reality is that light is also comfort. It brings comfort. I mean, uh, in front of our house, we have this cul-de-sac, and um, for uh, about a week and a half, I noticed, you know, I'd look out the window, and I'd notice that the, the cul-de-sac light was out. And it gave our neighborhood such an eerie feel. But there's this old psalm that says, as it relates to light, it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. There's even a song that was written about it that, uh, that we used to sing in worship, and a lot of you might know it. See, see that's the idea here. It's is that light brings comfort. It brings reassurance it lights your way so that you can see what's going on around you and you don't have to be afraid. Now, here's the rub about Jesus. He does bring some discomfort into our life. And he does shine a light on things in our life that maybe we don't want everyone to see or we don't want him to see. But ultimately, he didn't come to expose you. He didn't come to shame you or embarrass you or to call you out as as some sort of failure. No, no. See, ultimately what Jesus came to do, what his light is for, is it's there to comfort you. To let you know that he's with you. He's for you. He's guiding you through life. He he wants you to know there's nothing to fear in life or in death because he's defeated all of that. He's conquered your greatest fears on the cross. He's conquered your sin and your shame on the cross. He, He wants you to know that darkness doesn't have a claim on your life anymore. See, ultimately, light is there to comfort you, that you are not in darkness. Darkness doesn't have a hold on you. It's, it's got no control or authority over your life anymore because you are now a child of the light. And so while it can be intimidating and exposing, ultimately, it's really comforting. Jesus wants to give you comfort to know that he is with you. And then, and then lastly, light brings goodness. You could sum this all up this way to say that light brings goodness. Light brings grace and, and the goodness of God into our lives. Now, uh, a lot of you know that I'm a Michigan boy. You know, I'm a little disappointed, University of Michigan didn't do better yesterday, but I'll still claim that I'm a Michigan boy. Uh, I grew up in Michigan. I spent my whole life there until I moved away to, uh, to come to graduate school, to come to seminary here in St. Louis. And you know how it is when you grow up in a place, you don't, you don't fully see it for what it is. It's just what you know. And so I spent a few years out, out of Michigan, and then I moved back to Michigan, And um, I remember that first Michigan winter being surprised. Now, I had lived through, you know, 20-some Michigan winters before that. But that first Michigan winter back, I was surprised. Because here's what you should know about Michigan winter. It's cold. I think you knew that. It's long. I swear Michigan winter is like at least seven months long. It just goes forever. Um, But here's what I didn't remember about Michigan winter. I knew those two things. Here's what I didn't remember. That Michigan winter is dark. The days are short. It's gloomy. It's overcast. And I remember the first winter being back in Michigan, I remember just being so oppressed by how dark it was. In fact, I, I know a bunch of people in Michigan who have these full-spectrum lamps now. And it's not like a tanning lamp, but it does, minimo, or it does mimic the sun's light. And people just sit in front of these lamps for 15 or 20 minutes a day. Why? Because you need light in your life. You'll go nuts without light. See, there are certain chemicals that your brain needs to function well that it only produces when it's receiving the right kind of light. There are certain vitamins that your body only makes when it's receiving the right kind of light. Ultimately, no matter how you feel about light or darkness, whether you're a night owl or a morning person, you need light in order to be well, to be whole. And the same is true of Jesus. No matter who you are today, You need Jesus if you want to experience wholeness, if you want to live a full life. In John 8, look at Jesus' own words about himself. Jesus said about himself, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but get this, they will have the light of life. See, what kind of light is it? They will have the light of of being exposed and let everyone seeing that they're a hypocrite and a fraud. no. Since they all have the light of life. See, this is what Jesus wants to do in your life. This is what it means that the light is shining. Jesus wants to bring life through his light. I'm talking about wholeness. I'm talking about true gladness and joy. I'm talking about the fullness of, of living life differently, but living life well. See, the attractive and fearful quality of Jesus is that he is the light of the world, which is something we want and something we don't want. Do you recognize the tension? And yet today, here's here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm, I'm asking you to want it anyway. Even though light has tension and there's parts of it that we love and parts of it that we hate, I'm asking you to want it anyway. I'm asking you today to embrace the light and to reflect the light. See, embrace the light because no matter how scary it is, you ultimately know who the light is. It's Jesus. And he's good. He's your savior. He loves you. There's nothing that you should be afraid of in him. He's proven that he is for you by giving his life for you on the cross and coming back to new life so that you might have full life. See, embrace the light even though it's scary because it's Jesus that you're embracing. And he's proven historically, he's proven historically that he's on your side. Today, I'm just challenging you, again, this season, the season of darkness, to embrace the light, or maybe this is for the first time for you, and you've been sitting on the outside for a long time, and, and maybe like Melissa in the video earlier, you've been waiting for that moment of that aha moment, and, and maybe, maybe that aha moment's not going to come for you. Maybe you just need to open yourself up to the light and to say, I, I'm just going to fall into this. I'm going to lean into this. I'm going to embrace this. Today, I'm calling you to embrace the light, and then I'm also calling you to reflect the light. I love what Ephesians 5 says. This is what happens when you embrace the light. It says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. We've talked about that. But get this. And everything that is illuminated see, everyone that embraces the light, everything that is illuminated becomes a light. It's fascinating, isn't it? It makes sense, though. When you embrace the light, you become illuminated and you yourself become a light. Today I'm calling you to embrace the light and then let yourself reflect the light because that's what this world needs. Now, I I know a lot of us start to feel like it's a losing battle against darkness and we get tired and we get weary, but can I just remind you that in the end, and we know how it ends, in the end, do you remember that light wins? Darkness doesn't win light does. All darkness will be done away with, the darkness outside of us and the darkness within us. Light ultimately wins. Can I just remind you of that? You don't need to despair. There's hope because light wins. But here's what I can also tell you, that even if it gets darker for a little while until that day, remember this, remember this, okay? As the darkness gets darker, that only demonstrates the power of light. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, think about this. Think about this for a second. Where is the place that the stars look the brightest? Isn't it when you're standing in the darkest field you can find? See, so may it be with us. People who, who are living in darkness and have darkness inside of us and that darkness is afraid sometimes and it wars against us embracing the light. May we just embrace the light anyway so that we become people who are illuminated and we become lights in a world that is dark, shining the love of God, shining the truth of Christ, shining his compassion and goodness for all to see. That's what I want to pray for us here today. Bow your heads with me. Father.